Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. And today is a day that we are in between a crossroads in women's history. We are between when the 19th Amendment got voted through in Tennessee and when it got added to the Constitution, which is pretty exciting. That was a very momentous day in history, and it's something we always want to remember. And the thing is, that's something everyone will remember. What we're here to do is tell you about people and events that people don't remember in women's history. I love how you say women's history. Women's history. That's how it should be. Just in case anyone wasn't aware, this is a women-centric podcast. I almost said TV show. What is happening? So on that note, this is whining about history. This is a show where two longtime friends drink a lot of wine and talk women you haven't heard of from history. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And that was a terrible intro. Hey, you know what? They can't all be winners, but we're here and we're doing the work and they love us anyway. I hope so. Honestly, I find our unprofessionalism endearing and charming in its own way. Right? Yeah. So. I just know it's not a pre-recorded thing. Yeah. No, this is, this is raw you guys this is raw and uncut it is well thank you so much for joining us for another episode of whining about herstory uh we we're on a bit of a time limit so we're gonna jump right into it i do have like a, a say their name um it's more of a personal shout out katie What's up, Katie? Katie is a friend of the podcast. Uh, I also went to Scotland with her uh, w- when I was in college. And it, it's amazing because uh, she'll she'll sometimes message us about like, oh, I listened to this part of the podcast or that was really right. cool. And I don't know. She's just always been very supportive. And actually, when I used to do the podcast shit showtime with my buddy Caleb, she listened to that too and was very supportive. And so we were kind of messaging. Wonderful. She is amazing. She's a herstory hero in her own right wonderful mother wonderful lady and uh, wonderful mother yeah doesn't she's a mom right no what no no we're we're not talking about the same katie are you telling you right now we are yes okay (laughs) yes she is a mother i'm like her profile picture has her and her son is that not her kid we have too many katie's oh there are so many katie's in this world and they're all Wonderful. But anyway, I'm talking about you, Katie R. Also, the other Katie that Kelly's thinking of. She's also a wonderful lady. But Katie R and I were kind of like chatting a little bit about the podcast and catching up on like old Scotland memories. And then today on my Facebook uh, timestamp thing, it was like pictures from when I first got to Scotland. I was like, oh my God. That's cute. That was nine years ago. I'm so old. But I don't know, it was nice, like, catching up with her and reminiscing. And Katie, I just want to thank you so much for always supporting the podcast. We and you're wonderful. You. We love you, Katie. And other Katie. Because now I feel like I have to say yeah. it. Because now I feel like I'm just being like, no, not that Katie. Fuck her. <laughs> right. No, I know. I know what you meant. We. W- I am briefly also going to give a shout out to uh, Harry T. Byrne, or rather his mother. I'm going to mess this up. Feb and... Ensminger Byrne. Jesus. That's an interesting middle name. Um, but he was the person that voted. So State Representative Harry T. Byrne was a 24-year-old that voted for women's suffrage and broke the tie in Tennessee. Yeah, so Tennessee was the last state to ratify the 19th Amendment. They had voted twice, and it was a 44 to 44 deadlock every time. 
And so the reason I say actually his mother is because his mother wrote him a letter. And part of the letter wrote, Hurrah and vote for suffrage and don't keep them in doubt. I've been watching to see how you stood, but have not seen anything yet. Don't forget to be a good boy. Be a good boy, buddy. (laughs) So because of her, he voted for suffrage and, you know, that thing that women fought for for years finally finally became true and so we're celebrating this year a hundred years of that and uh we would be neglectful to not mention that while women did earn the right to vote it was not all women it was primarily white women and while black women uh were included in the 19th amendment there were poll taxes and literacy there were a lot of barriers thrown up hoops yeah stupid hoops it's like hula hoops, but like insanely terrible. Uh, and so there they're were on, a lot. They're on fire. They're on fire. It's like hula hoops <laughs> and they're fire. on fire and you still can't do it. <laughs> do you remember those hula hoops that had the water in them? Yeah. Yeah. Those, so you could yeah, actually do fun. it. God, there's a toy someone had to dumb down for everyone. But uh, while this is a really momentous occasion, this is a really momentous anniversary, it's so important to remember that this is not this wasn't a victory this, for yeah, all this women. wasn't the end all be all of like yay we're all equal now yeah not and even close it's important to recognize that and tell those stories not to be like well this doesn't actually matter or this is an important event just to remember that so often in civil rights movements the most vulnerable members the most marginalized members of our society are left behind or yep. or not they're not allowed at the table. Right. Their rights are bargained away in favor for well, the majority. And it's times, not fair. How many times have we talked about like getting something approved, but they leave someone out? Oh yeah, we talked about we've that. We've talked about we, it during Pride. We've talked about it during Black, during History, Black Month. History Month. We've talked about it constantly on this show because how often does that happen that someone wins something, but then there's always someone else that's like some for some reason you're not good enough which yeah, isn't yeah. true well we'll get our rights you know i don't know what's going to happen to you but i got mine exactly. so but we've covered uh mabel pinghua lee uh who was a suffragette during during women's suffrage and she lived to see the 19th amendment be uh added to the constitution but did not benefit from it i think it wasn't until like the 50s or something yeah, 50s or 60s that uh asian americans could finally get the right to vote. Uh, We covered Zikala Shah. She was a Dakota woman who, again, did not earn the right to vote. She was a suffragette. I don't think I touched on that a ton in my story, but she did fight for the women's right to vote. She did not benefit from that. Uh, Ida B. Wells was a suffragette. We haven't covered her. She's a pretty big name when it comes to women's rights. Uh, And as a black woman, she still faced barriers to vote. And while she we are briefly in my story. Oh my god, that's Super amazing. Briefly. But we are wearing our like hundred years of women's suffrage pins with pride, but Heck also yes. acknowledging that it wasn't a victory for everyone. And by acknowledging that, we hope that we can all do better moving forward. Agreed. Yeah. So So let's launch into our wine. All right. This is god the name of this wine kelly i i picked this wine because it's a pretty picture and because of its name so it's pessimist (laughs) by dow that's it and then 
I like this because this is true. And I've said this about pessimists before because I am one. Quote, a pessimist is never disappointed. There you go. Because we always think everything's going to end terribly. Yeah. If anything, we are pleasantly surprised. Exactly. That's how I like to live my life. Okay. This is what the sign at the liquor store said because I like to take pictures of it. Sometimes the bottles don't have anything like this one. Evolving layers reveal elderberry and truffle with cocoa and cardamom spice accents further augmented by hints of eucalyptus leather, cherry pipe tobacco, and grilled meats. God knows I love a good leathery wine. The finish is smooth and leisurely, essence of pure dark berry fruit. You know what I really want? Here is my dream job, writing wine labels. Because it's almost like you're writing a romance novel for wine. Because it's unrealistic. It's stuff that wouldn't be sexy in the real world. But when you're reading it off a wine bottle, like, like, oh, hints of leather. Give me that old chew, baby. Oh, my God. Grilled meat and leather and cardamom. Very earthy wine, especially if it said truffles. Yeah. I'm, I'm, so this is what? Paso Robles? Red blend? Red blend. Nice. All right. Uh, cheers, cheers to 100 years. To 100 years. And cheers to that sweet little rhyme. Maybe I'm crazy. But when I smelled it, I feel like I could smell the mushroom. Hold on. It's funny because as I was like bringing it to my lips, the, the smell rushed down my throat before it touched mm. my lips. Like it's very it's potent. It's actually really good. Not that I thought it was going to be like, it's see, kinda pleasantly like- surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this wine was going to suck and I was I wasn't. I was pleasantly surprised. Yes. There's a lot of different hints of different things. Yeah, it's good, though. It's kind of like um, spicy is not the word, but and carbonate isn't the word. But you know that tang you get with yeah, soda? It, it's tangy. Yeah. Um, but it, I do think, I mean, what did they say? Like a leisurely mm-hmm. finish. And I, I, I yeah. understand what they mean. Like it's it's very smooth on the back end and it goes down yeah. real nice. I would definitely say it's a sipping wine because it does have oh, that yeah. punch of flavor when you first like take a sip. Yeah. But I, I really like this. Out. I actually really like this. Too. I so I had a I had what I call a wine night where I basically got in my bathrobe in my jammy jams and poured myself a nice big glass of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, which nice. I want to get that bottle again because that was an amazing fucking wine. And I just sipped on the wine and watched dinosaur documentaries. And when I got a little buzz going on, I started texting all my friends how much I love them. <laughs> Kelly, you probably got one of those texts and you were just like, that's Maybe. random. I know. And like I and because of that night, I have kind of this infatuation now with like nice sipping red wines because I'm like, yeah, I just want to curl up and sip my red well, wine now that and enjoy coming, it. Because winter's always yeah. coming in Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> it's it's either it's either coming, here or coming. Yeah, um, <laughs> or coming back. Yeah, um, reds are like that's what I envision reds mm-hmm. like curled up on a sofa with like a book and a fire in the background. On a bare skin rug uh, with your leather no. No. or your best podcasting yeah, co-host. And then the flicker of the firelight. You wonder, could this be something more? <laughs> more than a Boston romance. More than a Boston romance. Boston marriage. Boston marriage. That's I, right. I thought it was marriage. And then I was like, no, it's not Boston I, marriage. I think we have a little bit of a Boston romance. Yeah. Boston marriage. Yeah, we, we I mean, should. We've, we've both said multiple times to the other significant other. It's like we're a package deal. We kind of are. It was uh, so I was 
It was a Mary, a virtual Mary Kay party last night at, that Kelly was also at, which I didn't know. And so we were kind of texting each other a little bit during it. And I texted her. I was like, my battery's down to 2%. I don't think I'm going to make it because the party was not over. I'm like, my phone is dying. And she's like, oh, no. And I'm like, tell Jared I always loved you. And she's like, I will. But I think he already knows that. And I'm like, oh, he does. <laughs> yeah i know you meant him but i just had to make it funny or did you actually mean me no i i meant exactly what i said tell jared i always loved you (laughs) (laughs) don't tell him i'm gonna miss him or i love him just let him know that i loved you absolutely yeah that sounds accurate all right well shall we dive in we shall all right you can start us off you lovely lovely well thank you for allowing me to start us off i appreciate it you're so kind and generous. I know, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, today I am covering Nirja Banat. I like that name. I it's it's a really lovely name, and Nirja is uh, actually pretty easy for me to pronounce. I, so I I'm, like that. It like rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Nirja. Many of the women we've covered over the past year and five months, we're almost at a year and a half, oh my god, you guys, have spent their lives pursuing something. Whether it be science, art, writing, activism, whatever, they've spent their lives in concentrated effort. But I'd some say most of, the, of them. Yeah, yeah, but some of the women we've covered find themselves in extraordinary situations that are beyond their control. This is one of those women. Ooh, exciting. Nirja Banat uh, was born on September 7th, 1963 in Chandigarh, India. She primarily grew up in present-day Mumbai at the time it was uh, Bombay, I yep, believe, yep. Uh, in a Punjabi, eh, sorry, Punjabi family. I'm like trying not to like hit the plosives and apparently that meant like leaving out letters. I'm <laughs> that sorry. That letter doesn't exist. Punjabi uh, family. And that's like an ethnic group of people who primarily come from the northern part of India, which I didn't know. So learning. Her parents, uh, Harish and Rama, adored her and her two brothers. Aww. Her brothers also adored the hell out of her. The family actually called her Lado, which means like dear or darling in Punjabi. Oh, or like, fa- I, I found a bunch of different like synonyms for what it can mean. It was like, like pet, sweetheart, lines. favorite, yeah. dearest. Yeah. So that was like her, her pet name, Lado. <laughs> Now, we normally don't focus on the appearances of the women we cover, but I want to point out that Nirja is gorgeous, which is why at a young age, she was discovered and began working as a model. As I say, sometimes it plays into their stories. So yeah. So we just kind of have to point it out. But like I was looking, I was finding pictures of her and every time I was just like, Jesus Christ, like she's just absolutely stunning. Uh, So she's looking fab and making that cash, but duty calls. After graduating from college at 19 years old, Nirja was placed into an arranged marriage with a marine engineer and moved to the United Arab Emirates. And this arranged marriages are pretty typical uh, in Indian culture. In fact, uh, my Indian friend whose wedding we went to, that was an arranged marriage. It's still very common. She loves the hell out of him. Right. You know, she she was definitely like, I'm fine with this. A lot of times they like it's not what you think of where they've never met and the, you know the first day they see each other is their wedding no like a lot of times it's close family friends or yeah and know, in, like, in this case and they, they know each other before they get married yeah yeah and in this case um i think her family had uh 
arranged for her to meet a few people just kind of over right. the years and she didn't really click with them and then That's she nice. you know they it was like her it's like your parents introducing you to someone right and so they you know she was introduced to him and right away she's like yep yep wrap them up let's go we're right. good we're this good. is happening <laughs> um sadly though in this case uh, Nirja's case. <laughs> husband was incredibly abusive trigger warning for domestic violence he would verbally abuse her beat her and starve her so like really 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 that's, bad yeah, that's, like that's emotional and, and physical like that's all sorts of torture and they would only be together for two months oh that's God. how long like it took no time at all for this to escalate now we've talked about domestic violence on the podcast before and how difficult it is to leave in fact when a victim tries to leave an abusive situation that's when the abuser is most likely to kill the victim yep. that's when they're in the most danger and it also takes an average of like i think it's like seven or 11 7 to 11 times to successfully escape yeah, a situation. Yeah, it's a higher number than And I I I, I I like the word escape more than leave cuz I mean leaving I think is appropriate too, but then there's the I feel like there's a stigma for going back and it's like right. there's so much at play. It's not like you're just like, "No, he's changed. It's fine." Like right. there's and it's complicated. And like negative for the person who is yeah. escaping yeah it's like no you because this is a you're you're getting out of a terrible situation yeah it is yeah. escaping so obviously leaving is difficult and it's extremely dangerous there's also a cultural stigma to leaving a marriage even in the united states but like trying to leave an arranged marriage in indian culture I, i'm sorry i'm hanging my mic right there's stigma associated with that and I say this because I want to highlight how incredibly brave it was for Nirja to leave after two months of marriage and move back, move back to Mumbai. So I think she moved back in with her parents. Well, yeah, because there's a chance that your family won't accept you. Like, clearly hers, it sounds like hers might have. Her family is very sweet. So you like, they're I mean? cool like, people. Your family might not accept you. Yeah, you're going to get shunned out of a lot of different places, especially in certain cultures. You know, like, there's, there's a lot that you're suddenly... Like things are going to be like stereotypes are going to be thrust upon you, whether it's true or not. There's a lot of weird social consequences to leaving a, a relationship, yep. especially a marriage. And that comes that that's in like any culture. I'm imagining people who have gotten divorced uh, in the United States that I've known. And there's yeah, there's weird shit like people have to choose sides, even if it's not an abusive situation. There's just right. there's it, a there's weird just, stigma to a is. marriage ending. So uh but she's a badass. She left. She's like, no, this is not she's okay. Like, I do not shit. get to be treated this way. Looking for a new start, Nirja decided to pursue a high-flying career as a flight attendant. Really? You know I had to. Don't you dare no, judge me. No, she that like ties in really well with mine. Oh, I thought you were angry about my pun about it being a high-flying career. No, that was actually pretty good. Okay, like, I'm that like, was actually, what that the... was actually really good. Kelly, we're like 70-some episodes in. You cannot even pretend to be surprised that I no, would say that. No, I was that. just like, wow, the kismet, kismet kicking our asses again. Love it. In 1985, Pan Am wanted to have an all Pan Indian. Am. Is that in your story too? No. Oh, I, was... I just know that they're. I'm like, do we cover like their the two people who were in the same event? Because they're, I hate this. They're really, really like. If you know anything about airlines and especially like flight attendants, Pan Am is one of the big names that mm -hmm. pops up all the time. Yep. 
So Pan Am wanted to have an all-Indian cabin crew staffed for their Frankfurt to India routes. Uh, Nirja applied to be a flight attendant and was accepted into their training program, which I guess was pretty selective. Yeah. They wanted all their people to look just so. Yeah. I mean, she's stunning. So there we go. But she was also very capable. So she she actually traveled to Miami, Florida to have the training. And then uh, she excelled and earned the position as a purser, which is like the chief flight attendant. Yay. So she is like right below the, the pilots and technical crew. Like she's... Like she's the person that runs, like, the cabins. Exactly. Yeah, she's, like, the most senior staff. Nirja enjoyed her work with Pan Am and was liked by her coworkers. Like, she's just, she's working. She's having a great great time. Everyone likes her. She's sweet. She's amazing. On September 5th, 1986, 22-year-old Nirja was working on Pan Am Flight 73, flying from Mumbai, uh, at the time Bombay, India to the United States. On board were 391 passengers of varying origin. And I feel like thir- something really bad's about to happen because you're throwing all these statistics at us. And you would be right to okay. think so. <laughs> I thought I gave it away in my intro about extraordinary circumstances. And usually I don't name actual flights unless they're significant. I'm just yeah, like, right, it I'm was like, a plane. Mm, something bad's going to happen. Yup. It's not. We're, we're Just buckle up. Okay. This isn't going to be a, a very fun and strap time. On. Yeah. Please fasten your seatbelts and move your seats in the upright position. Tray tables should be stowed. Please, please, Jesus Christ, please. <laughs> Turn off all cellular devices. It will crash a plane. Have you seen that video where um, the flight attendant is saying that everyone needs to turn off their electric device, electronic devices? And one of the one of the guys is like, why? Like the passenger's like, why do we need to? Well, it interferes with the planes, you know, Stuff. instruments. And then this guy's like, but I have a heart like a, a, a shit. What are those called? The Pace machines. Makers. Pacemaker. I have a pacemaker. Is that? No, 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 no that, that's different. Oh, OK. Why, though? And it basically ends where she loses her shit. And she's like, planes are fucking magic. We're in a tin can flying a thousand miles an hour through the fucking air. No one knows how it works. You think aerodynamics get this thing up in the air? You fools. No one knows how planes work. So just turn off your fucking phones so we can go. <laughs> I love that. That would uh, be me if I was a flight attendant. I need to, I need to show you the video because it is absolutely hilarious. On board were 391 passengers, 13 crew members, which included the pilot, co-pilot, and technical crew all working in the cockpit. Partway through the flight at about 4.40 a.m., the plane touched down Karachi, Pakistan to refuel before making the next leg of the trip to Frankfurt, Germany. So they're leaving from India. They stop in Pakistan. They're going to Germany. And then they're eventually going to go to the United States. Okay. During this layover, 109 passengers disembarked and more boarded, making for a total of like 380-so passengers. This plane is fucking huge. Yeah, this obviously has to be. Well, I mean, have you ever flown internationally? They tend to be on like the biggest airplane. Oh, yeah, where it's like three rows of Of, seats. Yeah, and the middle one's five instead of being like two or three. Yeah. 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 I've been on both the largest like that and the tiniest where there's literally only two seats yep. on each side. And I hate those ones. What are they yep. called? Puddle hoppers? Puddle jumpers? Ah, nice. I remember the plane we took to uh, Las Vegas. It wasn't that small. It was, but like, it was like the like three mid-range seats, one. Yeah. Three seats with one aisle. Yep. And I remember I sat with a lovely couple who were going to the Hooters Casino for their honeymoon. 
<laughs> I'm like, well, I wish them luck. There's a choice you can make. Good for you guys. You clearly know what you like. More power to you. Right. The new passengers had barely boarded when a van with flashing lights and sirens suddenly pulled up to the aircraft. It was driven by two men in airport security uniforms. Instead of investigating someone's vibrating luggage, always remove the batteries from your vibrator before you fly, they rushed out of the van, whipping out their guns and firing into the air as they rushed up the boarding ramp. So this was back in the That's day. That's terrifying. Where, like, you know how you now... You outside. Yeah, and, there's yeah. like that tube you go through. This was like, there's a ramp or stairs that yeah, lead that literally when, into when the plane flew out from of the tarmac. Antigua. Yeah. Because that's the type, like, they don't have, like, a super fancy airport. So, yeah. yeah that's, I, I felt so special. I was like, should I turn around and, like, wave? Right. I just, get, just make sure you don't have any toilet paper on your shoe. Very embarrassing. Very shameful. Another two hijackers, spoiler, these are hijackers, they're not actually security people, sorry, disguised as security staff quickly joined them, one carrying a suitcase full of grenades. As one does. As one does. As All one the time. does. Uh, the hijackers were a part of the Abu Nidal organization, and they're, they were like a nationalist militant group uh, from Pakistan who were targeting Americans and wanted basically like military domination of Israel. So they were li- like like the idea of peacefully negotiating with Israel. They were like, no, fucking, fucking yeah, blow that, them away. That so to be. they're assholes. At some point while boarding the plane, the hijackers shot and killed two Kuwait oh. Airlines staff members who were working nearby. Because they were just like just guns a blazing. Yeah, yeah I, I don't even know if it was on purpose. It was, but. They were just so excited. Well, that's what happens when you start firing a gun all willy nilly like right. that. Upon boarding the plane, they shot at the feet of one of the flight attendants, demanding she close the door to the aircraft. Nirja hearing the gunfire. So so they're boarding more towards the front of the plane right, and she's, she's in, the, in the, back. the back. So she's obviously hearing this and she uses the intercom in the back of the plane uh, and alerted the pilots and technical staff of the hijacking using a special hijacking code. Although I I get why there's a code, but they couldn't see her. I'm like, there's a fucking hijacking just like and you hang up. Right. <laughs> But, you know, that's what she's trained to do, and there she's doing a great job. There are puppies entering the plane. <laughs> puppies oh on my God. the plane. You have, like, this horrible, visceral reaction to the word puppies now. Like, yeah, I right. got a new puppy. No! <laughs> no! No, it's probably something, like, more obscure than that. Yeah, like, like, a, like a code blue in a hospital is someone is dying. <laughs> probably be along code black, because code black is a bomb in a hospital. Yeah. So the cockpit crew quickly escaped using a real escape device. So basically, there's an escape hatch in the roof of the cockpit, and they climb up that. I don't know if there's a ladder or a rope or, like, this is, like, gym class. Basically, they get up through that door, and then there's a real escape device at the top, and they, like, rappel down the side of the plane. What is a real escape device? So, real, like, R-E-E-L. Oh, it's, like, a yeah. reel of, like, rope or As something. opposed to a okay. fake escape device. Yeah. It's just there for show. It's it's security theater. It's fine. Don't worry. You'll never need it. I wonder but, if that's still a thing in airplanes. I actually, I Googled it to see, because I'm like, what the fuck is a real escape device? And I Googled it, and... There were, I don't know, there seemed to be some modern pictures of like people demonstrating how you use them. But yeah, basically, it's attached to the top and you rappel down the plane. So it's like, you know, those dog leashes that extend? It's like a big, strong one of those. And you just like get out. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. So like they're just getting out there like Batman. 
Now, I want to take a moment to put this into context. The cockpit crew apparently got a lot of shit for getting out of there. Um, And initially, I I got that. I was like, well, okay, so they just are like, see ya. Because you're just abandoning the crew to their fate. pilot and co-pilot are gone who's gonna fly the plane exactly this so they actually saved a lot of lives yeah okay you i was see, like i understand why people are mad but like my first thought was like yeah that's smart for them to leave yeah it, well here's the thing it is not their job to like fight these yeah, guys right, off you know heroes or anything um, like, yeah what are they gonna do go out there and get shot so you see, the hijackers had a very specific plan for Pan Am Flight 73. They were going to use the plane to rescue their ter- terrorist buddies being held prisoner in Cyprus and Israel. I also read, and I saw this in one place, so I'm not sure if it's true, that they were going to, like, crash the plane somewhere, like uh, like kamikaze style. I don't know how that would have helped anyone. Super not them. But basically, they're hijacking this plane to rescue their terrorist buddies. Uh, I don't really get it. But regardless, to fo- to follow through, they need someone to fly the plane because none of them are pilots. By getting out of there, the cockpit crew foiled their plans by essentially essentially immobilizing the pain- plane. They yeah. took the engine out. They're there. They're stuck there. One flight attendant, uh, Sunshine Vesuala, actually praised the pilots for this, saying, quote, I was relieved when I saw the pilots were gone as we were all safer on the ground than we would be in the air. And in any case, at least three pilots were safe three lives would be saved. She's like, at least they got out. At least we're not all going to die here. At some point during the boarding, Sunshine also saw the hijackers put a gun to Nirja's head. I couldn't find if this was just like a quick intimidation or if there was some sort of exchange, but they're showing everyone like, I'm not afraid to blow someone away right now. Realizing the cockpit crew had escaped, the head hijacker knew he had to negotiate with authorities. Uh, I don't think I really include any of the hijackers' names in here because That's they fine. can go fuck themselves. Yeah. They're just a, a mass of assholes. Just imagine a mass of puckering sphincters in like little ski masks. He forced all of the passengers into the center of the aircraft. Remember, there are almost 400 people on this plane, so they're filling every seat, and pile and people are piled into the aisles and in every right. available just space. Like, Fucking sit on each other's Super laps. Super not comfortable. Remember, it's a magic tin clan can hurtling through the air. Well, not currently. Not yet. <laughs> the head hijacker set his eyes on Rajesh Kumar, a 29-year-old Indian American man, and ordered him to the front of the aircraft. Rajesh walked with his hands behind his head and served as a human shield as the hijacker relayed his demands to the authorities who had quickly surrounded the plane. Because that's what happens when you run onto a plane firing your guns. He, uh, the hijacker said that if a new pilot was not sent to fly the plane in 30 minutes, he would he's shoot Rajesh. Sh- oh, I thought he was just going to start shooting random people. Well, he's got Rajesh right. right there. I'm like, dude, you even get a pizza in 30 minutes. Fuck you. Yeah. Unless it's like, what, like two in the afternoon, you might get it in 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. If they're feeling generous. It didn't really matter, though, because before the 30 minutes were even up, the hijacker became frustrated and shot Kumar in the head and then shoved his body out the door onto the ramp below. Though he uh, was still breathing, uh, Kumar was quickly recovered and rushed to the hospital. Uh, He died in the ambulance. You so don't often survive a gunshot wound to the head. Yeah, I mean, like it's very stranger rare. things it ha- have happened. It has to miss like very specific spots in yeah. order for you to survive. 
So let's recap. We have four armed hijackers, a plane packed with passengers, and one has already been murdered. And Nirja is the senior most crew member on the plane now because the cockpit crew is gone. It was time for Nirja to work. Now, the hijackers were targeting Americans on the plane and demanded that the flight attendants gather everyone's passports so they could identify the Americans. And they didn't explicitly state this, but Nirja, like, figured out what they were going right, for. Because like, I'm clearly, sure she'd heard of they're them. they're looking for specific people. Yeah, yeah and I, I th- she, I'm sure that she was aware of the organization and, like... How they weren't super big fans of Americans. So Nirja covertly communicated to the other crew members to hide the American passports however they could. They threw them in the trash, hid them in seat cushions, and stuffed them into their own clothes. This concealed the identities of the 43 remaining American passengers. Wow. How would they explain, I suppose, because they, they, were they in Frankfurt about to go to America? No, they were in, uh, they were in, uh, they're, they're Pakistan, in Pakistan right, right now. Yeah. Hmm. Like, I'm just wondering how that would work. Like, how how would you get away with being like, oh, these people don't have passports? Well, I don't think the hijackers were paying very close attention. I don't think they, like, you know, held up the passport and they're like, I suppose you could just probably give them the same passport several well, times the, the, without them noticing there's so many people they're not going to count them t- they first That's of all true. they don't know how many people are on the plane right. 43 Everyone's out of 380 each, it's they're, yeah. they're not going to notice and okay, they're not taking right. attendance they're just scanning looking for the americans no americans here yep <laughs> nope nope not today Then, Nirja spied a passenger who was sitting by the emergency exit. She secretly ripped out a page from her manual that had the instructions for operating the exit door and the slide, which, like, as a kid, I was like, I kind of hope the plane has to emergency land because I want to go down the slide. I did, too, but I never wanted to be the person sitting there. As an adult, (laughs) I still don't want to be the person sitting there because it says... responsibility. And that's what it says. It says if you can't handle that responsibility or can't handle helping people out of the plane, raise your hand and the flight attendant will move you. Yeah, I'll probably... It literally says that. I would panic and be like, I don't know how my hands work. right? I'd probably just, like, pass out from stress. Like, I'm walking into a store where it clearly says pull the door and I walk right into the door I am not responsible you guys (laughs) so uh, she slipped it into an in-flight magazine and handed it to the passenger so that he would know how to operate the door and deploy the escape slide if they had the opportunity to evacuate hey I think you'd be really interested in the combination cat feeder brusher layer box fountain palatial fish shaped mansion on page, on page 324. Oh, 324. Weak, weak, nudge, nudge. And that must have been so... Read the magazine. The hi- like, this is a big plane, but the hijackers are right there. You can't just be like, turn to page 324 so we can get the fuck out of here. Like, you have to be really, well, like... And you you have, have to, like, make meaningful you, eye contact. And you have to hope he understands, like, don't just do it, but wait for the appropriate time so right. they don't shoot us all. Like, they're they're communication is hard enough when you're being very direct with someone but when you're in a stressful emergency situation right, having to be very careful about how yeah, you communicate there's a chance that guy could have read it and been like fuck this i'm getting out of here and immediately just went for it and yeah. then it would have all been fucked he's just like yeehaw <laughs> passengers you don't know he was one of the americans emily hey you don't have to be american to be a cowboy okay have you ever heard of a spaghetti western he could have been italian <laughs> Passengers on the plane later described Nirja as a calming presence throughout the ordeal, and she and the other flight staff actually continued reserving refreshments to the passengers to keep their spirits up. Like, they're just trying to maintain this sense of normalcy while there are four armed men pointing guns at them, and there's like, hey... 
can I get you a Coke? We don't have diet, but I don't think you really give a shit right now. Do you want some peanuts? You know there's that asshole that's like, is it diet? Ugh, I only drink diet. Can you, you will have water? Back and see if there's diet. I'm just, I'm watching my figure. Like, we could all die right now. Right, like, no one gives a shit. Yep. Regularly, the hijackers would take crew members as human shields to go negotiate with the authorities. Uh, there was also, I didn't really include it in here, but they also started targeting like British passengers when they couldn't well, yeah. find any Americans. Like the next best thing. And there, there is a man who survived where they like hit him and they were threatening him. And he, he spoke very positively of the flight staff because oh. he's like, they were fucking like amazing. Right. The best people ever. I, th- this isn't well, his story though. So I like, didn't include it. a strong leader that's calm. Yeah. Like it kind of rubs off on you. Well, you're, you're taking your cues from that. You're like, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to freak out. And and that's we like got this. W- when it comes to an emergency of any kind, that is 90 percent of the battle. She was a Don't pessimist freak out. And she was just like, you know what? We'll either get through this or we'll die. Yeah. Like, you know what? Let's do it. Whatever. You're pleasantly surprised. She was not disappointed in how her day would go. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? A hijacking? I got this. The hijacking dragged on for 17 hours with the terrorists becoming increasingly restless and on edge. They still didn't have a pilot for the plane. And the more time passed, the more likely it was that authorities were getting ready to make their move. So, like, the authorities were looking for a pilot, but they were having a really hard time finding one. And I'm sure, like, no one wants to fucking go. Like, Well, I'm sure it's partially no one wants to go. And they probably also don't want to send someone. Yeah, like... I. I I didn't get super into how the authorities were handling this because, again, this is Nirja's story, so I'm centering it around her. But regardless, they're getting really antsy and they're starting. Like, these guys are already kind of half cocked and it's just getting worse. Then the auxiliary power on the plane went out, casting the plane in darkness. And it's nighttime now, so everything is just dark except for the lights that the authorities have set up on the tarmac. Not understanding that this was a natural consequence of a plane being stuck on the flight apron for 17 hours, the terrorists panicked, thinking the authorities were jumping into action. They basically said, fuck it, and decided to kill all of the passengers and themselves. First, they tried to deploy their grenades, because remember, they have a suitcase of grenades. But due to their confusion in the dark, they couldn't pull the pins out entirely, making the grenades like not entirely go off. So witnesses on the ground could see flashes, but there was no there wasn't like a plane ripping explosion explosion that would have been expected, which like. I don't know how powerful a grenade is, but that, I don't, that yeah, I don't know how everyone's work. so tightly packed together. I'm sure that would have killed just a ton of people. Just one of those. Since the grenades didn't work, they started shooting. This caused the bullets to begin ricocheting off the walls of the plane. Because remember, this is a magical tin can of terror. That's when Nirja made her move. She sprang for the emergency exit doors and with the help of other passengers and staff, deployed the slide. Though she could have immediately escaped the plane because she's right there, Nirja began ushering passengers out, moving throughout the plane to guide them towards the exit, all while bullets were whizzing around the craft. That's when the fellow crew member Sunshine saw Nirja. She had been shot in the hip and was bleeding heavily, but still conscious. She was shielding three children with oh. her body. 
Sunshine and another flight attendant, uh, Dilip, carried Nirja to the emergency slide and pushed her down before following behind. Nirja was quickly put into an ambulance. I assume, sorry. I assume they put the children down first. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like they, they're like, okay, kids, you run. We're going to drag our poor, you know, injured coworker to this slide. So she's loaded onto an ambulance, but without a stretcher. Like, there's so many people. There's so much confusion. And she was rushed to the hospital, which was quite a ways from the airport. Quote, it was chaotic, like a war zone in there, Sunshine said, describing the hospital. Nirja's life may have been saved. Were conditions in the hospital better? Nirja died in the hospital on September 5th, uh, 1986, just a couple of days before her 23rd birthday. And, like, I'm 29 right now, and I still feel so young. 22? Like, that's when we graduated from college. We were babies. Yeah. Like, it just, it's absolutely heartbreaking. It is. Uh, So when they had seen the flashes and heard the shots, Pakistan Special Services Group commandos and the Pakistan Rangers stormed the plane and captured all of the hijackers. Uh, All four of them, and then a fifth accomplice who was found later, were convicted in Pakistan and sentenced to death. However, the sentences were commuted to life. But in 2008, Pakistan deported four of the convicts, not the head guy because he's still serving 160 years to life in Indiana. So, yay, he's still in prison. They got charged in the United States? I think because uh, United States citizens, United States citizens were on the plane. So I think the FBI does have jurisdiction. They do come in. In, like, like, a sentence. <laughs> well, because, like, I know if you're in the air, you're considered, like, in contested territory. But I thought once you landed, you were under the jurisdiction of whatever entity you were in. Yeah, and I think I think because this was an air national flight, the terrorists were targeting American citizens. So the FBI was like, no, no, no. We're also involved with this. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so the head guy who shot Rajesh... Yeah. Is still in, I don't know why he's in Indiana. That seems like such a random place. They must have a max um, security prison Yeah, there. so he's in Indiana rotting away. Hopefully his, like, insides become outsides or something slowly, painfully over time. But the other, the others were uh, deported to Palestine uh, where they were just kind of, like, running around. Like, okay, get out. We don't want you anymore. You can't go home. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. The FBI then stepped in to try and nail them under U.S. law. Okay. Uh, allegedly, one one of them was killed, but who knows? So that fucking sucks. The FBI is still looking for them, though. So I think it's like they served their time in Pakistan, and when they were released, they were deported. And now the U.S. is like, no, 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 it's our turn. Fuck you. Right. And they're still looking for them. All in all... 21 people were killed in the attack. Legacy. After the hijacking, news of Nirja's bravery and heroic sacrifice spread. She was dubbed by survivors in the media as the heroine of the hijacking. While Nirja's actions in the midst of an unthinkable situation were incredible, every crew member on the plane that day played a part in saving lives. And actually, many of them did not talk about their experience as much until uh, recent years. But they all, none of them are like, well, I did that. They're all like, no, 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 everyone there did. We came together to do what we had to do, which is, I think, is very sweet. Right. 
Nirja was posthumously awarded the Ashoka Chakra Award, which is India's highest award for bravery in peacetime. This made her the first woman and the youngest person to ever receive the award. Nirja's family used her life insurance to create the Nirja Banat Trust, which presents two awards every year. One award is uh, for a flight crew member who acts beyond the call of duty, and the other, called the Nirja Banat Award, is presented to an Indian woman who acts bravely in the phrase, uh, face of social injustice. For our herstory stamp collectors, whoop, whoop. the Indian Postal Service released a Nirja Banat stamp in 2004, and it's it's the picture you always see of her. She's kind of like looking over her shoulder, and she's just got the most brilliant smile. Like I said, she's just a stunning woman, but it's, it's not even just how she looks. Like, she just seems to be radiating, you know? She's just got this radiance about her. It's the only federal... Correctional Institute I found in Tennessee is actually a minimum security one. Indiana. Oh, Indiana. It was in Indiana. Why did I think Tennessee? Because that's where the 19th Amendment was ratified. We were talking about Tennessee earlier. Indiana. You can keep talking. Okay. In 2005, Nirja was awarded the Justice of Crimes Award by the United States, which her brother, uh, Anesh accepted on her behalf so he went to dc to accept that on her behalf anesh also created a coffee table book called the nirja i knew that includes chapters written by those who knew and loved her he also wrote a book called the smile of courage about her in 2018 Aww. punjab university named a dorm building after nirja on their uh chandagar campus because that's where she was born and it's like an all-female dorm There was a seven-year-old boy who survived the hijacking and grew up to become a captain of a major airline, and he sees Nirja as an inspiration and says that he owes every day of his life to her. Like, he he remembers her on the plane and remember, like, remember seeing her jumping into action and trying to save people. In 2016, the movie Nirja came out with Nirja being played by Sanma Kapoor. Uh, On the anniversary of Nirja's death, uh, Sonam posted a poster of Nirja on her Instagram account, which read, Courage has never looked prettier. And I guess while she was filming, uh, I think filming took like three years, she did get to meet Nirja's family. And like, there's a side-by-side picture. She looks so much like her. Like, it's it's a little spooky. But I guess uh, her her mother called uh, Sonam Lado which is what they called Mirja, and I'm not crying, you're crying. Mm-hmm. Now, I have one more note, and I saved this part for the end because I only read it in one place, and it just seemed like almost too crazy to be true, but I had to put it out there. Uh, as a child, Nirja had aspirations of becoming an actress and was a big fan of Rajesh Khanna uh, and would ask her mother to help her act out different scenarios so she could practice her acting. Apparently, one such scenario that Nirja came up with was a hijacking oh, to which her geez. mother replied, if something like that ever happens, escape. Nirja replied, if all mothers think like you, then what will happen to the country? I'd rather die than run away. And that just, I'm like, that's, that gives me chills. I kind of hope it's not true. <laughs> like, uh, whether or not this is true, we know for a fact that Nirja stepped up in the face of violence and along with all the other brave crew members of Pan Am Flight 73 saved hundreds 
of lives. Wow. So cheers to you, Nirja. Cheers. I would, I'd be really interested to watch that movie. I saw the trailer for it and the trailer got me choked up and I'm like, I don't know if I'm emotionally stable enough to watch this. So I found the one in Indiana. It's number six on the 10 most secure prisons in the world. Oh, shit. Um, and yeah, this is like, it. it's called the Tear Hout. I think this is the right one. Um, and it. The reason he's there is because that's where like federal prisoners go. Okay, I think I think he was tried by the United States. He must have been. I I I I think it was because um, Rajesh, who he murdered, was a United. He was a naturalized United States citizen. Yeah, exactly. So, so it was like he killed one of ours. We're gonna nail him to the wall in Indiana. Rotten hell, bastard. Right. But yeah, I actually, I heard this story on My Favorite Murder, and I just, like, Nirja's story really touched me. I was like, you know, she's brave enough to escape a domestic uh, violence situation. Right. She's trying to kind of start her life and, you know, do it for herself. And then in the face of this insane shit, she's like... Super calm. And super and chill. I love how like she she just seemed to be really thinking big picture, like and she's planting seeds. You know, she's responding right. to the terrorist demands by hiding the American passport. She's like, Hey dude, you're sitting in the emergency exit. That's probably gonna be pretty important at some point. Right, like you need to know how to use it. Read up on and it. then to sneakily like give it, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. That's insane. And then the fact that she kind of kept everyone calm and was this strong a calming presence for everyone despite the insane amount of stress all those people really, were under. Can you imagine? And I do just want a quick shout out ev- all the crew members on that plane. Incredibly brave, incredibly heroic. Like I said, I'm I'm telling Nirja's story in this case, so the focus is on her. Uh, I think she's also been elevated because she was killed. You know, and a lot of the other crew members have not spoken out much. Uh, So there was a BBC article that I found, and that's where I got a lot of the quotes and information from Sunshine, who, again, has like an amazing name. And everyone was acting together. So Nirja couldn't have done that on her own, but she definitely helped lead everyone else towards keeping as many people safe as possible. And yeah. So that is Nirja Banat, the heroine of the hijacking. Aw, yeah. You even came up with a name for her. Well, they did. The oh, the media really? and the survivors dubbed her the heroine of the hijacking. Aww. I don't think I would have come up with that on my own because I would have been like, is that inappropriate? But since people have used it, I'm using it. Go for it. Hello there. Do you like real life historical tales? If so, have I got the perfect podcast for you. My name is Alice, and I host the Backtracker History Show. Based in the UK, this self-confessed geek takes you for a stroll down memory lane and shares stories and interesting nuggets of information that has been discovered along the way, from tales of tragedy and sadness to epic stories of human courage or creativity. There are many people in history who have made their mark, however small. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to leave a rating or review if you can. If you want to find out more, you can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital V 
capital T, and a capital UK. But until then, take care guys, and look after each other. So Kelly, are you going to tell me a story today? I'm going to tell you a story Are you going to tuck me in, give me a warm glass of milk, um, and then tell me a story? No. Good, Just... because I'm lactose intolerant. <clears throat> give me a cool glass of wine. Okay, here you go. Let me get drunk sleep. Yeah, that, that sounds good. <laughs> oh my God. Actually sounds really good right now. All right, so I'm going to tell you the story of Bessie Coleman. Oh, shit! I've been wanting to cover her! Ha <laughs> ha. Yes! Oh, I'm so excited because I know her in very broad strokes, but I do not know the details of her life. Right. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Let's do this. So different things said that she was named Elizabeth and like some just didn't mention that. So I'm just going to call her Bessie because that's what everything referred to her as. So she was born January 26th in 1892 in Atlanta, Texas. That's she was when Lizzie the- Borden killed her parents. That's crazy. <laughs> not that exact day, right? Just that year? Yeah, just... Wait, okay. what was the day? January 26th. Okay, so that was like at the beginning of the year because okay, yeah. Lizzie Bourne didn't kill her parents until August. Yeah, it was, it was fall, wasn't it? So in Atlanta, Texas, she was the 10th of 13 children of George Coleman, who was of Cherokee descent, and Susan Coleman, who was an African-American. Oh, I didn't know that she was part Cherokee. Yep. That's really cool. Nine of, the thir- of their 13 children survived a childhood, which was actually like... Fairly typical for that time frame. That's that's pretty good. That's about right. 50-50. No, it's more than 50. Yeah. 13. I want to say it's almost 75%. They only lost four out of their 13 children, which, yeah. again, tragic, not trying to make light of it, but for the time, Very that's common. pretty good. Yep. <laughs> when Bessie was only two years old, they moved to Waxahachie, Texas, where they lived as sharecroppers, which sharecropping is... When a landowner, like, allows tenants to use their land to farm in return for getting some of the profit from the crops they're farming. Yeah. So since they said they lived as sharecroppers, I'm assuming their family was the tenant, not the owners. I, I would also make that assumption. Um, while living in Waxahachie, um, Bessie started attending school at the age of six. She would walk... 10 miles to school uphill both ways in the snow in no. the driven snow <laughs> yeah. no she would walk four miles each day to her school which was a segregated one-room schoolhouse she fell in love with reading and established herself as a very very good math student like she was just amazing at math so she's um, she's magic yeah she's magic yeah she would go on to complete her elementary education actually which is great i oh, know i struggled with that right I did. <laughs> However, every year um, her routine would obviously be interrupted by the cotton harvest, you know, because that was a thing. Well, that's like they and used a lot to of have... schools would actually like accommodate for that because so many kids would be farming families. I was going to say there are a lot of areas that still have kind of that old school school schedule where mm. they have the, the breaks for when the harvest yeah. was coming yeah. like because the kids had to go home and help. Yeah. bring in the harvest so that was that was something that was you know impeding her ability to learn what further happened was in 1901 her her father left the family oh he returned to oklahoma or indian territory as it was called during that time because it was not a state yet nope to find better opportunities um his wife and children did not go with him bessie was nine at the time 
So did he, was he just like looking for work and sending money back to the family or was Um, he like, I'm not the father of this family anymore? It didn't really say. Okay. It just said he went to find better opportunities. I I would think then he's probably like trying to send money back. I would assume. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we can do that. He doesn't come up again, so that's fine. Okay. Um, At the age of 12, Bessie was accepted into the Missionary Baptist Church School on a scholarship. So she went there and completed that education. And then when she turned 18, she took her savings and enrolled in the Oklahoma Colored Agriculture and Normal University in Langston. And a normal school was like a school to teach teachers about teaching so that they could teach other teachers about teaching. Now the school is just called Langston University because, you know shorter it's shorter it doesn't use the word colored in there yeah. uh sadly she was only able to complete one term before she ran out of money and would have to return home oh no a few years later when she was 23 bessie ended up moving to chicago where some of her brothers lived so she moved in with them and became a manicurist at the white box barbara shop um there she heard stories of flying during wartime from pilots returning home from world war one she also heard a bunch of stories from her brother john who had served in the army in france during world war one. Oh my god i wonder if he ran into uh Emilienne maybe from last week's episode <laughs> and her brother would actually often tease his sister about how women in france had significantly more opportunities that they were so liberated and he even told her that they could fly planes This is a quote from him that came out of her biography. Quote, black women ain't never going to fly. Not like those women I saw in France. So that's what he told her. Yeah. Bessie, like not wanting to, you know, have her brother teaser was like, okay, I'm going to learn to fly. Can I just say that is one of my favorite history tropes where a, a guy tells a girl you can't do that. And, and then, the then girl, like, the girl becomes like the best you. at it out of spite. That's like uh, Ludmila Pavlichenko right? became a great shot because a neighbor boy was teasing her. And she's like, I'm going to shoot your fucking face off. Right. Exactly. Like, I'm going to be the best there ever was. It's great. So while she was like saving money to, you know, go to flight school, go to flight school, she, en- she ended up taking a second job as a manager at a chili a chili parlor. I thought you were going to say a Chili's. That would be funny. I don't think those existed <laughs> I'm back like, then. like, what? <laughs> um, however, American flight schools at the time did not admit women or blacks. Even if you were a man? Nope. Okay, so Just white men. N- nope. Only white men. So because her brother had mentioned France, Francais, um, you know, she kind of got it in her mind that she's like, okay, I'm going to go to France and learn to fly. She found some allies in particularly Robert Abbott, who was uh, the publisher of the Chicago Defender, which was an African-American newspaper and is actually still around. Now it's a digital newspaper. Oh, cool. Um, and he was very much like he encouraged her to study abroad. And he actually like publicized Bessie's quest in his newspaper. And Jess, Jess Binga, who was a banker, and then his, his Robert's newspaper both gave her financial support to go and get her pilot's license. That's fantastic. Right. So before she went, Bessie went and took a French language class at the Berlitz Language School in Chicago. Because, you know, you got you to gotta know a little bit of the language to, like, learn how to do I, things. I was going to say, uh, I don't think you want to get in the plane and not recognize, like, the hyphens and the commas right. and the apostrophes be, yeah. and the characters and, like... Oh my God! What 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 is that? It's a wazoo. This is not spelled that way, yeah, sir. Right. <laughs> so she would travel to Paris on November twentieth, nineteen twenty, so that she could earn her pilot's license. She attended a flight school founded by the aviation pioneers Gaste 
Gaston and Rene Caudron <gasps> at La Le Crote in Somme in the northern in northern France. No one flies, flies like, like Gaston. Gaston, passes by like like Gaston. <laughs> no one avoids hitting geese in the yeah, air like Gaston. Gaston. <laughs> I'm exceptionally good at navigating. My <laughs> what a guy that Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> so. Once in, once in France, she began began a seven month course flying a Newport Type eighty two plane, which was a twenty seven foot long biplane. The what two wings? I think yeah, that's what a biplane. What? Don't they all have any two plane, wings? <laughs> um, with a forty foot wingspan. Okay, so twenty seven feet long, forty foot wingspan. That sounds big. But I also feel like my sense of scale right, with planes like, is not know. like like big to me is like no no, no one person can fl- fit in that it's right. nothing. This plane was incredibly fragile, and Bessie had to inspect every part of the plane anytime she went wanted to fly. This type of plane had I had two cockpits, one for the instructor and another behind that cockpit for the student. There was no steering wheel. There weren't even brakes. Wait, I'm sorry. How do you fly the plane? It, it's then? coming. There, I think they mean steering wheel like in the modern sense when you think of a steering wheel. Um, so How the, else do you mean it? The instructor and then soon Bessie would handle a large wooden stick to control the plane's pitch and roll and moved the rudder bar with your feet to control its yaw, which I don't know what a yaw is, but oh, I think it's like... Oh, okay. There. So I think the pitch and roll is like the up and down yeah, and, and the, the yaw, yaw is side to side. side. That's what oh, I thought Oh, so, so she had the, the she stick has like between a bat. her legs. Yeah. Okay. I, I've seen that in movies. I know what you're talking about. I'm to like, s- how is there right. not a... How is there a modern that's sense why I'm saying of steering wheel? That's what I mean. Yeah. It to stop the, the plane, when you would land, the pilot would drag a metal skid on the tail along the ground to stop there were no breaks this is stressing me out yeah. i hate this. About magical tin cans oh my god um, how, how does this work no one knows clap your hands if you believe right. um she would also go besides like basic flying she would go on to learn aerial maneuvers like loop the loops bank banking and tailspins um she did in her time she also witnessed an accident that would kill another student oh no yeah which stuck with her but she she kept going on june 15th 1921 Bessie became the first black woman and the first Native American to earn an aviation pilot's license and the first black person and first Native American to earn an international aviation license. That is incredible. It says, for, like, specifically one of the articles called out, like, international aviators license from this, spe- their, this specific French place, but I'm assuming it was worldwide, like, that she was the first African American and Native American yeah, I would. Right. We're going to assume. Determined to polish her skills, Bessie would spend um, another two months in France taking lessons from an ace pilot that lived near Paris. In September of 1921, she finally set sail to go back home to America. When she got back, she became a media, media sensation. A quote that Bessie used to say is, quote, the air is the only place free from prejudices. I knew we had no aviators, neither men nor women, and I knew the race needed to be represented along this most important line. So I thought it was my duty to risk my life to learn aviation. And rub it in my bitch ass brother's right, face. Exactly. <laughs> like, I hope she got home. She's like, hey, John, John, come here. Oh, Bessie, you're home. She whips her license out, bitch. rubs it in his face like, what was that? What was that, John? Right, who's, who's liberated now? Who's liberated now, bitch? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. 
So obviously this was well before commercial flights. Yes. Like well before. And so Bessie realized that in order to make a living as an aviator, especially a civilian aviator, because she didn't work for like She wasn't a in the military. Nope. Um, she would have to become a barnstorming stunt flyer. So oh, what? Barnstorming. That was the term. So barnstorming was a form of entertainment in which in which stunt fi- pilots perform tricks either individually in groups. Um, it was a method to impress people with the skill of the pilot and the sturdiness of the planes, and it became very popular in the United States during the Roaring Twenties. Okay. So bra- barnstormers were the pilots um, who flew throughout the country doing that or selling airplane rides, and actually Charles Lindbergh first began his flying as a barnstormer. Oh, that's co- I totally get that. Please tell me her nickname was Barnstorming Bessie. No, she has better ones. Okay. Um... So she she would do that even though it was still like fairly dangerous to fly. Like their planes weren't great they during were crap. this time. <laughs> um and to succeed in this highly competitive area, which you know, obviously it was because that was really the only thing pilots were doing at that time. Mm-hmm. Um she she figured she would need more advanced lessons and a more um extensive repertoire. Like she needed more tricks. She needed like things that would just wow people that other people weren't doing at the time. Right. So um she found or rather, she couldn't find anyone in Chicago willing to teach her because, you know, she's a she was, female pilot. The only one. She's a, a um, female person of color. Exactly. Woman of color. And so in February of 1922, she would go back to Europe, back to France, and took an advanced course in aviations. And then she would go to the Netherlands to meet Anthony Folker, who was at the time one of the world's most distinguished aircraft designers. Ooh. So she studied under him to kind of learn the aspects of the plane. And then she would travel to Germany to visit the Forker Corporation, which is his deal and would receive additional training from um, one of their pilots that she then returned to the United States to launch her career. You know what this reminds me a little bit of? Uh, Josephine Baker, how due to racism... Like, Fuck you, I'm going to France. Yeah, due to racism, she couldn't find success in America, so she went to France, and they were like, hey, you're really great at this, and we don't care that you're black. And she's right. like, oh, this is what it feels like. Right, and actually, she she does a few similar things that Josephine Baker did when she did, like when Josephine Baker came back to America. Did Best, she have Best a cheetah named Chiquita? No. Damn it. But that would have been cool. We need um, more cheetahs named Chiquita. Exactly. That's what's wrong with this country. <laughs> She made her first appearance in uh, an American show on September 3rd, 1922. This was an event honoring veterans of the all-black 369th Infantry Regiment of World War One. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, it was held at Curtis Field in Long Island near New York um, and was actually sponsored by Robert Abbott, the newspaper guy that had helped her get her license, and his newspaper. And it billed Bessie as, quote, the world's greatest woman flyer. I love that. She wasn't the only aerial maneuverer um, featured in this. There were other aerial displays by eight other American pilots um, and a jump by a black parachutist named Hubert Julian. Would you ever jump out of a plane? Nope. Would you ever go parachuting? Nope. I think I could talk myself into it. I think it would definitely be th- one of those times where I would just have to be really okay with the idea yep. of dying. I would probably pass out because like, on like the power tower and stuff it's it, it's actually like a thing that like 
certain people's bodies can't handle like certain g's of force right so, like on the power tower when they drop you i pass out because my body just can't handle it oh I'm, no i'm assuming the same thing would happen if i skydived yeah because i feel like that's much less controlled right oh my god Although, i don't know and then i just read like while skydiving is fairly safe right now, I, I did read a story recently that a young college student and her instructor died because their chute didn't open, like, oh my fairly recently, and it was very, very I, sad. Is this terrible of me? I know it is, but pretend it isn't. So I know sometimes a lot of times when you go skydiving, if you're not trained, you're hooked up to someone like an instructor. And I don't know why. I think I would find comfort in knowing, like, if the chute doesn't open, at least I'm not alone. I'm not dying by myself. Like someone right. else is here with me also seeing their life flash before right. their eyes and being like, yep, this is how I die. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> so six weeks after that, she would return to Chicago and deliver a stunning demonstration of various maneuvers such as figure eights, loops, and near ground dips to a very large crowd that was that actually really liked it. Like they were very excited about her and her maneuvers. She became known as Queen Bess. Queen Bess! Exactly. She's a queen! Um, And she was highly popular for the next about five years and was actually often invited to important events and interviewed by newspapers. And she was admired by people in both communities, blacks and whites, and I would assume Native Americans. Yeah. Um, she, she's crossing a lot of borders uh, when it comes to race and gender, yes. which is really incredible. Um, she primarily flew the Curtis JN-4 or Jenny biplanes, which is, I guess, what they called them. Um, I love it. She did fly a few other aircraft, but all the aircraft that she flew had been Army surplus aircraft left over from the war. So she's using used planes. That um, have just, you know, a few bullet holes, you know, just to make them look rugged. Right. Um, so while also promoting aviation, she also was combating racism. Bessie would often speak to audiences across the country about the pursuit of aviation and the goals of African-Americans. She refused to participate in aviation events that prohibited the attendance of African-Americans. And that's what I was saying, because Josephine Baker was yeah. the same way. During all this time, Bessie never lost sight of what she had told herself in her childhood. A vow that she made was, quote, I will amount to something someday. Or... I will amount to something, basically, is what she used to tell herself. And as a professional aviator, she did. However, she was often criticized by the press for her opportunistic nature and the flamboyant style in which she brought to her flying exhibit. You know, like she was just very out there, very pushing the envelope, very, you know, like doing anything to kind of like make people see her. Isn't that the point, though? You don't go to a a flying stunt show to see people fly in a circle for an hour. You go to see people fly where you think shit are like, I think they're going to crash and they pull up at the last minute. Right. There's a thrill there. The whole point is that it's a spectacle. Exactly. But oh, no, no, no. She's just looking for attention. Right. She's so showy. She should just fade into the background. Like, fuck that. However, while the crest press criticized her she also gained a reputation for being very skilled and daring as a pilot who would stop at nothing to complete a stunt um in los angeles one time as she was as she was flying to a show so she wasn't even at the show yet she was flying to the show her plane stalled and crashed she broke a leg and three ribs and uh injured her head as well oh my god she begged the doctor at the scene to patch her up so that she could get to her show he however called for an ambulance (laughs) she she's there she's bleeding right she's you know 
ripped her rib out and she's going to tie it on the wall with a little yeah. pink bow. Exactly. A la Sophie and the doctor. And she's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Just give me a Band-Aid. Give me some bitch stickers and, and we're good. There. And the doctor is like, right. no. Bessie would actually go on to write a telegram to her fans saying, quote, Tell them all that as soon as I can walk, I'm going to fly, end quote. Oh, I love that. Um, and this accident did not stop her from flying. She was back. Um, I th- it took her like two years to get back to flying like regularly, but she she kept it up. Yeah. Um, and her hard work helped her save up enough money to purchase her own plane. Another Jenny plane with an OX-5 engine. Um. And she was very, very, very excited, obviously. Like, owning your own plane, that's a huge thing. Um, after she bought it, she would soon return to her hometown in Texas to perform for a large crowd. However, Texas was still a segregated state. And the managers um, were going to allow both races. However, they wanted separate entrances for both African-Americans and white people to get into the stadium. Uh, Bessie refused to perform unless there was only one entrance. Can I just say... Uh- from a logistical standpoint alone, segregation is the dumbest shit I have ever. What was that fucking dog? Was that one of your tiny pugs yeah. banging on the door? Yeah, she's I thought it was a it. ghost. No. Well, she's also pissed off about segregation, but it's just like, man, the lengths people went to I know, it's to just tell someone else you are not worthy you are not a human the same way i am you are less right that pug is pissed and she is full of righteous fury (laughs) um so after many meetings the managers finally agreed to only have one gate but people would still have to sit in segregated sections bessie agreed um, and became very, very famous for standing up for her beliefs, which she had been doing her whole career. Right. But this was like uh, kind of more publicized, a little more out there. Right. Um, so she then traveled to Orlando, Florida on a speaking tour, and she met the Reverend Hez- Hezekiah Hill and his wife, Viola, who were community activists that invited them invited her to stay with them at the Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. The couple would treat her as a daughter and persuade her to stay for a while. Um, And Bessie did. She opened a beauty shop in Orlando um, to continue earning extra money. I love she just kind of does it all. Right. Like she's uh, she's a pilot. She's a beautician. She's a she's a pretty well educated woman. You know, I I know she didn't at least partially bilingual. Yeah, yeah. Like she, she, she's very intelligent, regardless of her education, which it seems like kind of got t- taken out from under her. One semester of college, just because she ran out of money. Yeah. But you have to, I mean, to be like, I'm going to go to France and learn to fly, and right? I'm going to go to Germany, to do that. and I'm going to go and I'm, like all these other places. Yeah. yeah, like she's very intelligent. She's very skilled. She's very multifaceted. I love her. Right. So through all these media contacts that she was making, she ended up being offered a role in a feature-length film called Shadow and Sunshine. It was to be financed by the African Amer- um, American Seminole Film Producing Company. Seminole? Yes. Okay. She gladly accepted, hoping the publicity would help advance her career and provide her with some money she needed to establish her own flying school, because that was her next goal. She was going to establish a flying school for oh, American women. That's like uh, Viola Desmond who taught women beautician exactly. skills so that they could also open up their own schools. And same with uh, Madam C.J. Walker. Exactly. Woo! 
But upon learning that the first scene she would have she would appear in um, featured her walking in in tattered clothes with a stick and a pack on her back, she refused to proceed. Oh, so she's she looks like a, a hobo. Yep. Her, oh, her biographer. Her biographer would would quote in her book. Quote, clearly Bessie's walking off the movie set was a statement of principle. Opportunistic though she was about her career, she was never opportunistic about race. She had no intention of perpetuating the derogatory image most whites had of blacks. Right. Good for her. Right. I And here's the thing. I can't super fault anyone at the time for having stayed. It's one of those things you kind of have to pick your battles. You know, it's like you see... Uh, Asian people in movies who are playing racist roles and things like that. It's like, well, that was the only way you could get work, you right. know? And, and she's like, no, I might, but you good, know, the but money good would help, her. but no. Yeah. yeah. So on April 30th, 1926, um, Bessie was back in Florida, Jacksonville this time. And this was recently after she had purchased her, her Jenny plane. Her Jenny. So she had purchased that in Dallas. And so she's in Jacksonville. So her mechanic and publicity agent, who was 24-year-old William Willis... Or Wills, sorry. I thought there was an extra I in that. I still... Um, William Wills. Right. Um, could not go by Will. <laughs> so he was plan- He was flying the plane from Dallas to Jacksonville in preparation for a show. He had to make three forced landings along the way because the plane had been so poorly maintained by the person who had owned it before. Oh, shit. Um, upon learning this, uh, Bessie's friends and family did not consider the aircraft safe and asked her multiple times not to fly. So now we're back to the balloon girl. Shut up. Because remember, they were like, don't do it. So on on take, so he got there. He made it. And on takeoff, Wills was flying the plane with Coleman in the other seat. She had not put her seatbelt on because she was planning to do a parachute jump for the next day. So this was kind of like a a run that she's kind of looking where she can land from the parachute. And they're kind of just flying the plane around. It's, It's a dry run. Yeah. Yep. About 10 minutes into the flight, the plane unexpectedly went into a dive and then a spin at 3,000 feet above the ground. Bessie was thrown from the plane at 2,000 feet and died instantly when she hit the ground. Oh, my God, William, Bessie. who was unable to con- unable to get- regain control of the plane, and it plummeted to the ground. Wills died upon impact, his body pinned under the plane. Uh. As re- rescuers tried to move the plane off of him, one of them lit a match for a cigarette, igniting the gas fumes and wreathing the wreckage in flame. Why the fuck I know. would you do that? It was the 1920s. This Everyone was smoking. This is not the time for a cigarette. Right. And and the people from the past are being like, Emily, you understand. Every time was time right. for a cigarette. Someone's getting married. A baby's being born. Someone Cigarettes. just died in a horrific plane crash. Cigarettes. Right. <laughs> Although the wreckage obviously was badly burned, um, they were able to later discover that a wrench used to service the engine at some point had come loose and jammed the controls. Oh, so they couldn't even get control of it. Like, no. there was no way that nope. was... Oh, my God. Bessie was 34 years old. All these babies, Kelly. Right. They're all just babies. So fu- funeral services were initially held in Florida, which is where she died, um, before her body was sent back to Chicago. While there, there was little mention in the media, but news of her death was widely carried in the African-American presses, and 10,000 mourners attended her ceremonies in Chicago, which were led by Ida B. Wells. <gasps> Ida, honey. God, we need to cover her. I know she's a bigger name, but I really don't know a lot really about should. her. And she seems like just 
Such a fascinating woman. So obviously Bessie did not li- live long enough to establish a school for young black aviators, but her pioneering achievements served as an inspiration for a generation of African-American men and women. So this is a quote by Lieutenant William J. Powell in Black Wings, which I think was a movie or a I book. Don't I don't know. I didn't actually look at it. But <laughs> this, it's a quote written by him dedicated to Bessie. Okay. So it says, because of Bessie Coleman, we have overcome that which was worse than racial barriers. We have overcome the barriers within ourselves and dared to dream. Powell had served in a segregated unit during World War I and tirelessly promoted the cause of black aviation through his books and journals. Oh. I have a few more quotes and then the legacy section. Okay. I'm I'm sitting here. I'm just like, why? how do we both pick women right, who I died know. tragically young related to planes? So how did this happen? Another person we'll have to cover is Mae Jemison. I think I've heard of her. She, oh, she was, she was uh, an first, astronaut. First African-American yes. woman to go into space. In an afterword in her biography. So, you know, the person who wrote the biography asked her to write something and she said quote I felt embarrassed and saddened that I did not learn of her until my space flight beckoned on the horizon I wished I had known her while I was growing up but then again I think she was there with me all the time in a way so that was the quote in a way Cole, uh, Bessie was indeed with her when she left earth as May carried a picture of Bessie with her into space flying higher than Bessie had ever dreamed Oh, my God. May would later go on um, to say, quote, it's tempting to draw parallels between me and Miss Coleman. I point to Bessie. I I point to Bessie Coleman and say, here is a woman, a being who exemplifies and serves as a model for all humanity and the very definition of strength, dignity, courage, integrity and beauty. Oh, my God. And I mean, that that's part of it. Like, you never really know who you're paving the way for. But every right. person who e- gains even an inch of ground is making it easier for everyone else. And those effects ripple out and they can never be measured because they're so immense. Right. Oh, my God. So besides that legacy, which is amazing, here are some bullet points because she had a lot, too. So I just kind of picked some um in atlanta texas there's a regional history museum which proudly displays various things from bessie's life including a reproduction of her yellow biplane oh i want to see her jenny right um (laughs) several different roads to airports in various states and cities have been named in her honor I'm not going to go through all of them because there is a lot. That would be the whole episode. Just us naming roads that are all named Bessie Coleman or Bessie Coleman Boulevard. Right. There's a public library in Chicago that's named after her. A memorial plaque is in the Chicago Cultural Center. So, sorry, a memorial plaque not in the Chicago Chicago Cultural Center. It was placed by the Chicago Cultural Center. And it was placed at the location of her former home, 41st and King Drive in Chicago. And it is tradition for African-American aviators to drop flowers during flyovers of her grave. Oh, that's sweet. Wait, okay, so hold on. Do flowers just plummet to earth over that cemetery <laughs> that now? That would be beautiful. Like, what if the wind takes it, someone's walking, and a bouquet of flowers just, just drops? in the face. Yeah, or, like, drops at your feet. I would stop and be like, am I going to die? Right. Is exactly. this an omen? Um, that's very sweet, though. <laughs> I know. There are several Bessie Coleman Scholarship Awards that have been established for high school seniors planning careers in aviation. 
The U.S. Postal Service issued a 32-cent stamp honoring Bessie in 1995 as part of the U.S. Postal Service Black Heritage Series. Guys, this is why we need to save the USPS. They make the best stamps. So, quick ones. 2001, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. 2006, she was inducted into the National Aviation Hall of Fame. 2012, there was a bronze plaque with her likeness installed on the front doors of the Paxson School of Advanced Studies, which is located on the airfield where her fatal flight took place. (sighs) Bessie has been honored. This is cute. I don't watch Doc McStuffins, but this is cute. Oh, my God. Bessie was honored with a toy character in season five, episode 11 of the children's animated show Doc McStuffins. Oh, my I I think Doc McStuffins is super cute. We used to have kids come in with the merchandise. I had seen a couple episodes from my nannying days. And I don't know. I was like, we have like a little black girl who's a doctor. Like, that's so important, you guys. Right, it is. Um, She was ranked number 14 on Flying's 2013 list of 51 Heroes of Aviation. Wow. In 2014, she was inducted into the International Air and Space Hall of Fame. On January 26th, the 125th anniversary of her birth, a Google Doodle was posted in her honor. Yeah, it was. And then in December 2019, the New York Times featured Bessie in their overlooked obituary feature. Yeah, they did. Which they called her a pioneering African-American aviatrix, which I like that. It I just like the like word aviatrix. I do, too. It's it's very sexy. Uh, I think it's interesting because I always thought of her as a black woman like like that was my whole context for her but to learn that she was half Cherokee and that's kind of been like not acknowledged as much and maybe maybe it wasn't a part of her identity that she embraced no she very much looks african-american yeah but i i just thought that was really interesting because she's not just a hero of the black community she's a hero right. of the you know indigenous and but particularly the cherokee much, community yeah. like you said that i was like shit seriously like i don't know i i thought that was a really cool detail and i was like how did i not know that like i always thought she was like a hundred percent african-american yeah exactly but yeah so that's that's her it was very sad but what an she was incredible amazing. woman though and and she was uh she sounds like she was very had very strong convictions and like she was just trying to build everyone else up she's like it was really hard for me to get here it shouldn't be this hard for anyone else moving forward right. and it's just an absolute tragedy that she died before she could fulfill that dream because you know she would have right you know that 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 would be like a historic building with its own plaque and everything yeah, now she would it would have been amazing huh <sighs> Fuck, this was like an inspirational bummer. Yeah, it was. Like, like I want to cry, but I also feel like empowered. I don't know. Empowered to cry, maybe. Yeah, there you go. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for this week? I, what am I thankful for this week? It's always such a hard, I need to start like doing like daily gratitude and then I could just like whip it out at the end and be like, let's see. <laughs> Let me pick from my massive list. Right. Um. You go first. What are you thankful um, for? Uh, something I'm thankful for. This this is really small, and it but it just put a smile on my face. So last week I covered uh, Emilienne Moreau mm-hmm. from Catherine Atwood's book. Hi, Catherine. I don't know if she's listening. Oh my god. Um, but I I messaged her on Instagram. I was like, Hey, Catherine. Hope you're great. By the way, we revisited your books. 
So check it out if you want to. And she wrote, let me see if I can find it. I won't read the whole thing, but she wrote this face or Instagram post. Oh, was it her like play by play reaction? Yeah, I she, it, it. it was so it. It was so funny. So she really enjoyed the episode and she basically put this Instagram post of like her with her wine and listening to the podcast. And she just wrote this really long caption of her like immediate reactions. It was really and it, it And like if you didn't listen to the episode, there was no context for some of that stuff. And it's funny. But it was hilarious. And it just made me feel really good that she liked it enough to write that and like to see her reactions because we've gotten really positive feedback on this podcast but to hear someone like be like oh my god that part was so funny oh you know right Winona Ryder I totally get it you know that kind of thing I, that just that really made me smile and especially I always get a little anxious when we visit Catherine's books because I'm like she puts so much love and time right. and research into these women's stories and I want to do honor by them but also in our own way well, I also get nervous when I like when I do people's requests I'm like oh god what if I don't do it good yeah enough? yeah because I feel like we have kind of our own style for doing this and I feel like it's maybe not everyone's cup of tea it's not a serious discussion of historical events but everyone. at the same time I think that's why the people that do like us like us so much is you know we're something different we're you know we, a couple we of are who we are. <laughs> but yeah I don't know that that made me really happy and so Catherine thank you so much for that you absolutely made my week and we love you yes we we'll do. definitely be revisiting her books again until we cover everyone in them eventually right three down a fuck ton more to go right and I I think I'm just gonna follow yours up by saying I'm I'm really thankful for all our fans like we've had a lot of interaction recently. We've had, you know, more people reaching out, more people, you know, just we've been feeling the love and I just I hope it continues and I hope, you know, we're working on new merch and new things and I just I hope we can bring everything you want from us and, you know, we would love to hear your ideas on stuff. And yeah, I'm just I'm thankful for all of you and I love you all very much. Yeah. And thank you so much to all of our new listeners. We've seen our downloads take this really unprecedented spike. And I like Kelly and I were talking and we we're like, is this we're a like, joke? Are, are we being punked right is, now? Are, they, are these just a bunch of bots that are fucking with us right now? Because there's no way. Um, so thank you so much to all of our new listeners. Thank you so much to all of our dedicated listeners who have been with us since the beginning. You know who you are. Right. I'm not going to name gonna names, be, but I any, see them in my head. <laughs> anyone that's going to go back and listen. Our first episodes are rough, but. If you're listening to this episode before those, clearly we've gotten better. Yes, yes. Our first two episodes, the audio quality is rough. Number three is where we really get rolling. Right. But I still think those first two episodes are a lot of fun. And yeah. they're some of my favorite like women that we've covered. So it's good. Well, uh, please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram, WAH Pod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. As I already said, we would love to hear from you. Also, if you have a say their name, shout outs, recommendations, please send them to us. Also, I still want to hear your embarrassing kiss stories. We also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash whiningaboutherstory. And, you know. You can donate for as little as $1. We got some really exciting things coming up for next month. Yep. I think it's if you donate at our $10 a month level for, for two, months, two months, you can get a wine glass. That Kelly hand makes. I don't hand make the glass. I hand, she does I not hand blow etch. the glass, you guys. I'm not that. I'm That's not that too cool. much. That's entirely too much. For $10... 
for two months, you know she's not hand-blowing the glass. That's unreasonable. Yeah, no, that would be like $50 or more. But yeah, she like does the etching, so they're made with love. Yeah. Also, we've got some stickers and magnets. It, it, guys, if you subscribe to our Patreon, we're just going to be sending you some awesome shit. We're going to be sending you thank you notes and some free merch, and we're working on bigger, better stuff coming we up. Are. So be excited. Look out. Uh, also, please rate us five stars wherever you listen. It really helps us. It gives us the warm fuzzies. You've gotten some new, re- like, written reviews. Right. Lately I love that reading just, your reviews. It oh makes me God, feel so good. Oh, my God, you guys. We love you so much. Um, uh, but, yeah, it really helps wherever you listen. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.